This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets look to tame a pack of wolves and we celebrate the collapse of the Super League. This is the Known and Never podcast. Hello and welcome to another champ-packed edition of the Known and Never podcast, a very Buoyant and happy one this week. I am your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me are regular contributors and team, none and ever, Rich and Tom. Rich, welcome. Tom, welcome. Good evening. Good evening, Natalie. Good evening, Tom. Good evening, visitors. Evening, all. Uh, aren't you that woman off the telly? Can I have your autograph? I know. You know, it's it's been it's been a it's been a, a, a challenging week on my social media this week. I didn't uh, I didn't quite expect that to blow up just as much as it did. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that later on. Let's not let's not detract because we've got something important to talk about. Tom, I no longer need to worry about West Brom. <laughs> <laughs> what a win! What a win! Fantastic! Yeah. Uh... Yeah, obviously, we, I think we said on last week's podcast they weren't going to beat Leicester or Aston Villa, and so it proved. And, uh, yeah, uh, that, that a, win, a win like that, and not just like, you know, it's not as if we're just scrapping for points, picking up a, you know, a, a, a gutsy 1-0 or something. We've shown there that we're a good team. We've shown we've got a lot of ability. You're not going to see West Brom or Fulham come up with a 4-0 away win for the rest of the season. Uh, we've, we've laid down a marker there, I think, and... Uh, we must be all but safe now without three points, and especially the big boost, big old difference as well. Yeah, definitely. So, of course, listeners, we are this week celebrating a 4-0 victory away at Molyneux. Not really a result that many of us were expecting. I think most of us thought that we, we did definitely have the possibility to, to win that game, but to put in the performance that they did and win so comprehensively perhaps came as a little bit of a shock to everybody, not least the Wolves players themselves. Um, so let's analyse that. Let's look at it. Now, Rich, before we get into the game, I know I did laugh and say I don't need to worry about West Brom anymore, but as Tom alluded to there in that opening game, we are safe now, aren't we? We're done. Job done for the season on the beach. Yeah. I've, overall, I Tom will probably laugh at me doing this. I have... There was a couple of games early in the season I thought we do look in trouble here, but despite my worry, despite my panic and looking at Fulham's fixtures and uh, etc., you know, I, I have always had confidence, but um, the last couple of games have just been frustrating. Well, go back to the Newcastle and uh, Southampton game, not just because we lost, because you felt like we'd just completely thrown them games away. So 
to come up with that per- performance. Um, like I said, we've secured our safety now, and literally from the first whistle to the last whistle, we battered him and mm. absolutely battered him. It was a fantastic performance, a thoroughly enjoyable watch. Um, yeah, and it's a fantastic Sunday lunchtime. Yeah, I mean, did, what did you think, Rich? It was more. Do you think we got lucky in that Wolves clearly have got absolutely nothing to, to play for and are fed up of this season and just had pandemic football fatigue? Or do you think we we orchestrated that performance and we dictated it? It's hard to pinpoint why it went the way it did. I think for a team like us, without because I'm going to big us up a lot on this podcast, if you beat a team 4-0 away from home, of course they're going to have a bad day. I've seen a stat that said we ran six kilometres more than Wolves, and that's mm-hmm. the biggest disparity of any teams this season in terms of running stats. So I think that highlights the key facts. I think just like like we just wanted it more. You could see with our energy, you know, we was on the front foot, we was pressing. Literally, the midfield worked so hard, which I thought worked really well. Um, yeah, and <laughs> there is that sense that Wolves were on the beach a little bit. But I think as well, there's teams that you might match up quite well against. And I thought we played really well against Wolves earlier in the season. I think it's the type of team like that you that you can bully and that you can get in in, in and amongst them, and you know they they didn't fancy it at all. Yeah, definitely. Um, Tom, there were a few changes from a personnel perspective. I think obviously we 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 were boosted by having Pope back in the nets. We had um, we went change formation. We went back to four four two and put Wooden and Matty up front. Um, and weirdly, also went a little bit stronger in midfield by instead of of, of electing to play and start JBG, you put um, what's it called? Uh, oh my God, my brain's going Ashley. Uh, what's it? Josh Brownhill? I was going to play Ashley Johnson. Then that's. We don't have a play called Ashley Johnson, do we? Josh Brownell out on the, on the wide. Um, do you think it was a tweak in formation? Or do you think there was something more than that? I think it was, you know, I think an attitude performance as well was pretty key. I think I definitely wanted to see a 4-4-2. I know that the 4-5-1 worked well against Man United, but it is mm. by its essence, and I think the way we play it as well, it's a defensive formation. And, you know, what what's over the last few weeks, I didn't think we had a lot to fear. So it made sense for me to go for 4-4-2. I think the logic behind putting Brownhill in on the right now he's not he, he doesn't put in crosses from that side he doesn't you know go outside his man he's basically there to come inside and leave a bit of room for Matt Layton but I think what we really got from playing Brownhill on the right that you don't necessarily get from Good Munson is the press um, high up the pitch you know we saw it Everton away especially where it worked really well the first sort of twenty minutes against Southampton and I think that's been the key in the was getting more goals in the last few weeks as well as obviously having that. Wooden Vidra partnership. I think Brownell caught, uh, sorry, Brownell and Westwood especially press really well. What we've lacked a bit in uh, recent weeks, the South and Newcastle games especially, is a bit of a foil in midfield just to just to step back and just cover that press a little bit. And I think you got that from Cork. So I think by playing Brownell on the right and Westwood, McNeil, um, you've got Cork to sit in and you had that press across the pitch and it, and it obviously worked, worked to treat. So yeah, it was a I thought it was a bit of a strange one when I saw the lineup because obviously you've got as much creativity, I think, from the right hand side as the left if you play good months in there. But you had Loughton pinging the balls in from the right and uh, and Brownell doing all the dirty work. So it, it worked out really well. So, yeah, uh, an interesting decision, but definitely the correct one. Yeah, and, and Rich, I think we've been saying this for, for quite a lot of time, particularly in our, in our chats through the games. Um, the difference that Jack Cork brings to that central midfield, and my God, was that proven again on Sunday? I think he's a fantastic player. I think because he's had a spell out of the team this season, I think 
we've really missed him at times. I would like I might be wrong because I'm you know I could ask that man Dave this, which might be a good one for the preview show. I like to see our points per game with Cork in the team compared to without him this season. Because just, just just jogging my memory, I think we have got more points with, with him in the team. And Tom's spot on with what he, he's put there. Um, he's distracting me, Tom, at the moment because he's just combing his hair and he's being in the background. What are you doing? So I can't kind of like concentrate there, really. I've got clip last week for the Twitter and my hair was a mess. So I thought, just in case I say something else very profound this week, it's not likely, but I best look smart, that's all. <laughs> I swear to God, I've got no idea what Rich just said because I was just like zoned no. in watching Tom. It's nonsense anyway, isn't it? What, what I say normally. So, um, oh, bless you. I, no, actually, agree with Tom. I think, but yeah, Corky, you know, he, he brings that calmness to the midfield. He's just so good on the ball. And we've got a lot of players who, you know, you see Westwood, he, you know, he is a runner. He sometimes he's a bit of a hit and run type player. Cork gets on the ball, he's always showing for it, lays off the simple balls. And an old John Robertson, who's a keen listener to the No Name Never podcast, just put a really good minute edited clip on Twitter where um, he read the play, he, he intercepted the ball, got it back, and, and just laid a simple ball off to Brownell on the on the right, and it started an, an attack. So I'm a I'm a massive fan of Cork. Always have been. Um, you know, going right back to when he had his first spell at the club, and I think it's brilliant that he signed a new contract. And I know he's I think he's the wrong side of thirty now, but. You know, with all the Burnley mm. players, they're extremely fit and professional, and and I definitely think we can still get a good two, three years out of him as well. It's, you know, looking at that central midfield now, if we can add maybe another young player similar in that Brown, uh, similar to Brownell in age, but someone who's maybe got a little more technical ability, someone who's got a little bit more flair. I think we've got a, you know, we could get a good uh, mix of players in that central midfield. But again, time time will tell. Yeah. Um. How did you? How are you feeling about corners this week, Rich? <laughs> we know that this has been uh, something's been bugging you. I said on the last podcast, if if Sean listens, which I'm sure he does, in in his flat with, <laughs> with Ian Ward, two weeks ago when I was last on, we need to change our corners, get them deeper, get them away from the keeper, get them towards the six yard line. Get, um, um, what have we done in the last couple of weeks? We've, yeah, we've done exactly it, haven't we? Look, um, mm. and we scores when we hit him straight at the bloody keeper, and he catches him. <laughs> So yeah, ten out much of not ten out of ten. You, you can never give ten out of ten, can you? Well, maybe Chris Wood might get a ten out of ten this week. Oh, he's uh, getting a ten out yeah, of ten, hundred percent. Yeah, nine out of ten on the corners uh, for the last couple of games. Good stuff. Well, that is nicely linked, Tom, because obviously that does bring us on to the man of the hour. I, I just what a performance! And surely, if anybody thinks that they want to come and still have a pop at Chris Wood now, they can just get in the bin. Yeah, fantastic, isn't it? Such a good all-round centre-forward display. We were talking last week about how the sort of the hold-up kind of his game, his bullying defenders, that's improved. Obviously, we didn't get a chance last week to talk much about his finishing because of, obviously, the fact that the, the chances were quite limited. But I thought all three of the goals really did show what he's about. Um, you know, the first goal, he, uh, I mean, <laughs> I say the show everything he's about. I'm not sure it's that often that you see him twisting and turning and, uh, and turning inside a, a defender, but uh, the feet were good. It was his strength, uh, you know, his physicality just to hold off the challenge, made that space for himself. And the angle was tight, but he, he hit that fantastically well, just smashed it past Patricio. He's got no chance of that first one. The second, you know, it's just been in the right place at the right time. Um, great ball from McNeil, great anticipation as well. Um, oh, and, God, you know, yeah. that can look 
you know, we made it look easy. It's not always, you know, it's, it's not always a guarantee even when you do get the ball in that position. But when you've got good players like McNeil and Wood, you can make it look easy. And that's what happened for that second goal. And then the third, as we've said, ball put into the right area. He's brave. He attacks it. He wants it more than the defender. And you could see how made up he was to get the hat-trick. So, yeah, really delighted for him. A fantastic performance. And obviously got an assist in the second half as well. So just everything you want from a centre-forward encapsulated in one display. And uh, and he's given us a massive shot in the arm and, and a massive step towards safety. So, yeah, fantastic. And, yeah, you, you, you'd be very harsh if you give him anything less than 10 out of 10, I reckon, for that performance. Definitely. And I think we've been saying quite a lot, haven't we, that strikers feed off confidence and, and we did say that once he'd got one he would start finding the net again and I think Sunday was a pretty clear indication of that um, and, and also as well this, this wasn't, did I see a start as well that he's now one of only very few Premier League strikers to get into double figures in four consecutive seasons I didn't even realise that he'd done that because just considering the goals that we score I mean Rich it's like he's now up there with some of the Premier League's elite strikers yeah, you know, as I said in our group chat, I've probably been more vocal in the criticism of Wood uh, than, you know, maybe some other people on, on the panel. But I'd off my hat to him, I really do. Because let's not forget, and I'll still stand by it, before Christmas, he, he was terrible. And and, yeah, and, I, and I'll still stand by my opinion. And, <laughs> but, it's a sound opinion. Um, since, I think he got injured against Chelsea, he seems to have done in the world of good, maybe a bit of... A bit of time out, you know, out of the team to reflect, and he's come back a completely different player. And I think, listen, we're not—he's not, not going to play like that every single week. But you've seen in, um, and you know, and get at tricks, etc. But but you've seen in the last five, six, seven games, he's been out. His overall play has been outstanding. Um, you know, he's bullying defenders. You can say what you want about Maguire, but Maguire is a very physical player, and you know, and he's very good at that. And he completely dominated him in that Old Trafford game. And, and I think that gave him the confidence to come into this weekend. And like Tom said, you know, he twisted, you know, Connor Cody inside out for that first goal. And he, he, was, he was, you know, he was playing against two good centre-halves on Sunday and Willie Bolly and, and Connor Cody are very, very competent at this level. Um, and it literally made them look like fools all the way through the game. So going back to my original point, I've got to give him a massive amount of credit because for somebody to be to struggle so much, and you know, and to come back and to show that resilience, you know, it, it shows he's got a lot of character and bottle. And ultimately, you know, this is why Dice is such a great manager, um, because you know, there's times where you know maybe myself would have you know would have would have dropped him and, and not picked him. But Dice knows who his best players are essentially, and over a season's work, he'll 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 back him to come good. So yeah, credit to Dice and you know, but more importantly to Wood. Uh, yeah, I think um, just just to pick up on something you mentioned there as well, Richard. Obviously, you said last week about him bullying Maguire. It did strike me in the game, you know, because uh, you said obviously Bolly and uh, and Cody had them in his pockets. They're actually playing three centre halves, I think. So I used to at the back as well. Yeah, size as well. Yeah. Struggled in the past against three centre. I just didn't count him. <laughs> yeah, he perhaps didn't play like one. He was in he was in the right position. Yeah, I mean, it's we we often like we saw in Newcastle games. Sometimes we do struggle with three centre halves, and but. I mean, he's actually bullied and pocketed three centre halves in one. There, that is a phenomenal achievement. So yeah, that that yeah, that was something that I did mean to mention and I forgot. So thanks for bringing that up. Thanks. Could I just mention one more point on it about what Dai said in his interview as well? He actually said that um, when Woods playing like that is a is a is a handful, and he said sometimes we 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 challenge him to play with that in, intensity 
and that physicality all the time. So it's interesting that, you know, the you know, the psychological side of football to know that, you know, why does he mm. not do that all the time? Because sometimes you can have a bad game where you're touching, you're passing and you're finishing, but that physicality you thought would just be something that comes every week. So I just thought that was really interesting yeah. with Dyche. Um of course, Barnes does that. Barnes, Barnes always plays with that physicality and they're a very similar build and they're a very similar striker. Yeah, yes, I know Rich is pulling his face at me now, listeners, but it is, it's just like, he, but he does, he does always bring that nuisance factor. He does bring that strength, even if he's having a bad game. Well, Barnes just falls <laughs> over, doesn't he? If he gets, oh, yeah. he afflicts. Oh, no, ref, give All me right, a foul. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> I'm only joking. Tom, for me... I mean, I'm not even sure whether this would have helped us or hindered us, to be honest, but how Wolves ended that game with 11 men is, I'm still perplexed by. And of course, we're talking about that, um, what a lot of commentators decided to call handbags, which I think was a, was probably about right. But um, obviously there was the, um, I don't know if is it called Podence? Podence, however it's pronounced. He'd fallen over like he'd been shot, holding his face when somebody kicked him in his shin, trying to get by Wolves a penalty. Tarky quite rightly went to, to pick him up and get him to get off his backside and get up. Um, all the hell broke up loose. But the main talking point of that is Truore literally pushed Cork in the face. Now, Cork didn't fall down like he'd been shot, went to VAR, and he ended up with just a yellow card. Tom, dissect that nonsense for us. Interesting you asked me, actually. It'd be, be good to hear what Rich thinks, because uh, for me, like... If, if it was the other way around and it was one of our players, like, obviously, we know by the letter of the law you shouldn't be raising your hands, you shouldn't be putting them in people's face. Um, but but I think and I think you're right. I think if Cork goes down holding his face and rolling around there, the ref or the VAR does just send him off. Yeah. But I think for me, like, it's not as if he's smacked him. He's put his hand and, like, pushed him in the face. Now, nah, it's yeah. out of order, yeah. And I think it's a yellow spot. For me, me personally, I don't want to see a red card for that. And I know it is the letter of the law. And I know if it was the other way around and if he goes down and screaming, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, you know, it's, you know, it's a stupid thing to do. You shouldn't be raising hands to people. You should be pushing him. But he's hardly smacked him. I mean, it's a, an appropriate reaction from court to stand there and say, what, what have you done that for? And like, for me, I was quite glad it wasn't a red person because I don't want to see a red card for that every week. We've had some ridiculous ones this weekend of this season. I mean, that, that one for West Ham, that Balboina one, it reminded me of Barnes oh, and trying to get him sent off the back in the ball. So the less sort of red cards we get for stuff like that, the better. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose on another day, um, you know, that, like if he does go rolling around or if, maybe if it was nil-nil at the time and, and they were on top, then maybe I would have had a different opinion about it. But, uh, yeah, for, for me, I'm quite glad that that wasn't red. I, I don't really want to see red cards for that um, personally. So, yeah, and it obviously didn't sport a game for us either. So, uh, yeah, for me, I wasn't too fussed. I completely agree. Um, I said at the time, I didn't. I don't want those to be a red card. I don't want those to happen. But the problem is, is that you've got to you've got to continue fairness in the league. And every single week, we're talking about inconsistencies. And it's like, yeah, great. I don't want red cards to be there. But then, don't do any red cards. But you know, just a couple of days before, we saw that ridiculous West Ham one. Um, Rich, what worries me a little bit, and I think Daesh has started to talk about this a little bit as well, is saying that he might actually be waving the white flag and conceding the fact that he can no longer 
genuinely tell his players to be the better men, don't go down screaming and don't play for things because it's actually starting to jeopardise our survival hopes. And I wonder whether we're actually going to start seeing our players trying to buy those things. It does worry me because I don't want us to be that team. Yeah, I, you know, I've been I've been really listening intently there to the conversation be, between you and Tom. Um, I think Tom summed it up, though, with what he said. And, you know, as Ted Hastings says on Line of Duty, by the letter of the law, yeah. it's a red card. So he should have walked. Simple as that. There's no... I always say this when I come on. I, I try and put aside my personal feelings about what, what are red cards, what are yellow cards. It's an absolute blatant sending off 100% all day long. No even arguments, and that, in my opinion, I'm f- absolutely flabbergasted he didn't get sent. I love off. it. I love it when Rich is just like Adam. So there we like, go. Nope, this is my. I love it. I love. I love. No, yeah. But it is a red yeah, card. It is. Even Tom, no, Tom, Tom's saying he doesn't Same, want it yeah. to be. It is. But he, but, yeah. he, but he knows it is. So, I f- you know, we get, and then that Daniel Podence is everything that's wrong with modern day football in one in embodied in one human being. <laughs> Um, and a, I was delighted. Opinion, Rich. <laughs> well, did you see his Instagram rant yeah. earlier in the season? Yeah, about the, the broken, whatever it was, it was an eye or something. You know, come on, come on, lad, <laughs> you know. Uh, and when he got all off after about 70 minutes, I was absolutely delighted seeing his sad little face go off. So off he popped. Um, but we always talk on this podcast, don't we, about pundits maybe not analysing the game or, you know, I I personally think thought Jermaine Genus on Match of the Day was fantastic. Yeah, I it thought was. He, he summarised it brilliant. I like him anyway as a pundit. I think he talks with sense. He's clearly an intelligent uh, chap. And he just said, I feel for Sean Dyche. I feel for Burnley there. They've done everything right. We're talking about players being honest, staying on the feet. Cork's there. He's just gone, come on, ref. What's, what's that about here? Have you seen this? If he goes down rolling about, um, you know, like Podence did 30 seconds earlier, Traore would have got sent off. So, yeah. like I said, I would have been more incensed if Wolves come back, which is never looking likely, if it was nil-nil, or if Traore could actually cross a ball. I think it would have been useful. Um, who He is, by the way, my, my most favourite non-Burnley player in the Premier League, Traore. Ah, oh, I do like him. Not as not that I think he. I just find him so interesting to watch because there's nobody else like him, is there? Let's be honest. You want to yeah, watch no, players I, like that? Who's he is exciting? Whether he, I know Tom always tweets if Traore was any good at football, he'd be a fo- what was whatever you tweet Tom, <laughs> something like that. Anyway, yeah. you know better than me. But because um, the thing is, he's so he like he's so strong, he's so quick, he's got all the attributes, but he's rubbish at football. So it just makes me think every time. Yeah. Yeah. If he could actually play football, he'd be amazing. But you know, like you say, he's like put his head down, runs to the corner flag, slam, slam a Mo Kamara special into the stand. Oh, it's it's such a shame, and he had that one season a couple of years ago where he actually like learned how to play football. And I thought he yeah. only wanted hundred million for him, and then he's forgot again. It's such a shame because he, like I say, if he was any good at football, he'd be. Out of the football. <laughs> yeah, so uh, no, that, that that's a good summary. So yeah, to go back to your points, I know you ended up going on a run. Um, yeah, should should have just been a red card. Like what, you, was your, what was your question? I don't even remember, Rich. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while. Oh, about uh, dice waving the white flag about. You know, oh yes, yeah. that's the one. There we exactly. Are. <laughs> so what's at the end of the day? You know, Jack Cox. It's it's a very funny one. You know, I'm kind of I am winner at all costs. Um, I'd Ooh, no. Um, 
that that's quite controversial. But you know, I'll ask. I'll put a question back onto you too. If Burnley dove and they got a penalty in the last minute and won one nil in a big game, would it bother you? Would you be like, oh, I don't know. Let let let's say Brown. I'm not. I don't think you would do it. It's just because you were talking about Ashley Johnson. It's Brownell's in the head now. Um, Sorry. So let's <laughs> all, it, forever be known as Ashley yeah, Johnson. Yeah. So if uh, Brownell dove in the last minute. A penalty got given with one one. Are we talking? Are we talking about a pure dive here, Rich? We're talking yeah, about pure a dive. Pure piece. dive, but for because VAR is useless. No, I couldn't. No, I couldn't accept that, and I'd be really gutted. One, I'd be really gutted. It would t- it would taint it for me, though. I'd never feel like we earned those points. I never feel like we earned. Listen, if we look at this in the context of all of the um, ESL stuff this week. We've been talking about the nature of competition and we've been talking about how important that is to the pyramid. You know, cheat is as well. It's not just the, the Super League clubs deciding to just ignore the rest of us and go away. Cheating, the blatant cheating like that, that yeah, you, how do you ever feel like you've Is that a different right type of cheating, there? though? Is it a different type of cheating? Like, that's kind of. Then what? what the, like, what? the, the, the ES... Getting contact and going down. Like, I don't know, like, in, in the game compared to. Obviously, you made a comparison today, ESL, which is. I, I don't know, like, not that I've never personally dove. That's not something I've done. But I've played football where I've deliberately fouled people. Dove? <laughs> dove, <Dived>. sorry. Where <laughs> I've deliberately fouled people, you know. So what's the, what's the difference? Yeah, no, it's true. It how is many, true. You know, how many times do we... All right, I'll put it back on you. When we played Newcastle, St Maximum was running through. We were, Taki should have took him out, took a yellow card. What's the difference? Well, yeah, that, that United so, game a couple of years ago when we were saying to Joey that Joey should have taken down and taken the yellow. You know, oh. so it's kind of, where does your... This is the thing, with, where does your moral compass lie with it? Oh, God, we're getting philosophical on that. Just, Tom, like, help. <laughs> Tom, come on, you're the voice of reason. Where does our moral compass <laughs> lie? I'm going to I'm gonna hand that one over to you. It's deep, isn't it? That? It's quite interesting, I think, like really? how it's viewed in different cultures. You're right, Richard. Like, in, in England, it's like... Kicking someone up in the air is is like not fine, but it, you know that there's no sort of moral dilemma with that. And yet, if you dive, it's shocking. I know in Argentina, it's like if you dive, it's just clever play. Things like that it's viewed very differently over there. Um, I was an interesting one that I always think is like if someone breaks your leg or like breaks your jaw or something, punches you. That's like it's a red card and then no more said. But if someone gobs on a player, it's like that should be a twenty match ban. That's disgusting. You should be, and it's like. Obviously, that is disgusting. But, like, why is gobbing on someone worse than, like, breaking their leg or breaking their jaw? I've never understood that. That's another one of the kind of weird moral kind of, yeah, like you say, the, the lines are drawn very weirdly in English football sometimes. And I think, like, we are seeing there's not the kind of outrage that there was 20 years ago about diving. And Daesh is always going on about it. And he's always saying, oh, I'm the, the only one who cares about it anymore. And, like, there's a bit of a perception sometimes that he is a bit, ultra English and ultra old fashioned and maybe it is things like that because the game's moved on a lot, you know, there's been a lot more continental influence in it now. Um it, it is one of those things, you know, that and there's and there's different stages to dive in as, as like you said as well. There's the old Morton Gamps pedestaling at Sarsen where he looks over his shoulder and he goes down, there's no one within five yards of him, but that's a dive. But then if a defender leaves a leg there and you can go around it but you choose to run into it and fall over, is that a dive or is that just clever play? And I've noticed as well, you'll notice Dice mm-hmm. talk, when Dice talks mm-hmm. about diving, he draws that line as well. And I think, it, you know, if he was really cared about diving and he uh, and he wanted it obliterated from modern football, 
I think, as we alluded to earlier, I don't think Ashley Barnes will get many games for Burnley. So, uh, you know, is this a slight nudge in the back and you tumble to the floor? Is that is that any better or any worse than, you know, throwing yourself over a leg with no contact? Is getting out of the way of a, le- a leg that's going to shatter your ankle but falling over? You know, there's there's a lot of uh, grey areas to it in there. And it's difficult for referees, you know, to, to police it as well sometimes. So I think to summarise in terms of, uh, you know, should Cork have gone down? Should he not have? I, I mean, for me, I'm more for like, yeah, playing fair and, and staying on your feet and et cetera, et cetera. But you know, if we do get to the point where it is harming us, you know, just maybe dialing the theatrics up 10 or 20% isn't going to hurt us. So, you know, I, it's not going to ruin my day in the same way it seems to do Sean Dice, just put it that way. Okay, so, so going back to that and finishing off on that point then, Tom, this links quite nicely into, and I don't know if you've seen it, The Athletic won an article this week about um, they are talking about Scott Parker being heavily linked to the Spurs job, a manager who's won five games all season, and um, Dash is not even in the conversation for the for the manager. And we all know about the the slight snobbery about Dash and, and the 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 view, the narrative that he's a dinosaur and he plays terrible football and things. But do you think this kind of insistence and this this lack of investing in, um, into the you know the foreign influence about diving and making not diving but you know making sure you get the decisions and going down and stuff do you think all of those things are just adding to this pot that he's just kind of making himself slightly unemployable if he's not careful i mean i'm all for it really because as long as he doesn't go to any of the clubs it's good for us <laughs> um, I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though isn't it like uh i think so much of, of it is perception um you know it's, if you look at like for example Let's take Scott Park as a good example. So this is his second full season. He's got a promotion with Fulham last season that he probably should have got. Um, then he's got a relegation this season. Are they one of the three worst teams in the league? Yeah, I think they are. If you put Guardiola in charge of Fulham this season, are they going to win 15, 20 games with the squad they've got? No, I don't think so. So maybe he's, he's let's say he's batting about average. But it, the style is a big thing, I think. So if he's... If he's um, Getting five wins playing, you know, for scrappy 1-0, you know, tr- grinding out 0-0 draws and things like that and going all back to the wall. And if he'd brought in players that sort of reflected a desire to do that, and if he'd, say, been given a budget by a chairman that meant that was the best option for him, then there'd be a different perception of his style. And yet he'd probably just still be managing his resources the best way he could. Now, if you give Sean Dyche £100 million, is he going to buy, you know, an even bigger, even uglier centre half, or is he going to push the bag out a bit and try and get someone like Lookman or uh, uh, a or somebody like that? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. You know, we've seen him buy flair players in the past. We've seen him buy people from abroad if we can get them and, and they improve the team. Players like Defoe, you wouldn't tell that's a typical dice shining. Um, but it's no, tricky, you know, because he's never going to have the budget to really develop the style of play that much, I don't think, while he's with us. Um, you know, you can argue, oh, well, Fulham do it on XYZ budget. But the reality is the majority of teams in the league are always going to have a bigger budget than us. And that's always been the case. And I think maybe one or two years in the job, people will think about that. It will be remarked upon. But we've been in the Prem that long now that people forget about it, I think, or people expect that we've got a bigger budget than we have just because we've been collecting this Premier League money for the last five, six years. To me, I think the best thing Dyche could could do, really, um, is... If you want, and obviously I don't want him to leave, like I say, 
but the the best way he'd he'd have of like kind of uh, mixing up his CV and getting to those top jobs is to go abroad, uh, and it's not something that you really see English managers do. But you'd have there's more opportunity abroad. I think you know in in Italy and Spain you've got a top two, a top three, but it's easier to break into the European the European places, the, the Champions League places, because there's not as many big clubs there. And you know if you if you took a mid tier job over there and made a success of it, then I think that that adds a, a, sh- a layer of respectability to your CV. It shows you can manage with different styles. And perhaps the longer that he's at Burnley and the more that what he's doing gets taken for granted, you know, the less easy it's going to be to build on the CV that he's already got. So for me, that that, that would be an interesting option for him to take. Um, I understand why, because you could say, mate, you know, we do some, some of our games are boring. There's no two ways about that. The football that we play isn't always exciting to watch. Um, there's always going to be that perception of it, rightly or wrongly, from neutrals. And it's going to take a massive huge change for that to go away now. So, as I say, uh, to, to sum up, you know, I'm not complaining about it. I think it's great because I I think he's done an incredible job with the club. Long may it continue. But, um, you know, I don't think it's that surprising necessarily where, you know, where his reputation is. And uh, I think he would have to be slightly more proactive, perhaps, in terms of his his career choices if he uh, if he did want to say that unfortunately um what about palace then um rich that still keeps rearing its head in the press do you think that's well, a sideways move an upwards move do you think it might come down to personal circumstances or do you think it's a no go i think palace is a really interesting one because they've got some very very good players but they've got a lot of players that's out of contract and people mm. you know and people are saying you know, Dyche wants to leave Burnley. It'd be interesting to see what Dyche will do with a budget. But Palace haven't got massive, you know, reserves of cash. No, and maybe true. you know, maybe the only way they'll get cash is to sell Zaha. But you've seen if Palace sells Zaha or don't play or he doesn't play, you know, the relegation kind of fall. Yeah, I think definitely. Tom makes a really good point. I think he makes a really good point abroad. I just don't think Dyche is that type of person. I think away from football, I don't think he'd move abroad for me, you know, for his, for his family. You see, he's already living in Northampton. He lives in Northampton. I think the only re- I think, it depends how ambitious Dyche is, doesn't it? You know, we, we don't really know, you know, he always says in his interviews, you know, you keep asking me this, but I'm still here. He's obviously on very good money yeah. at Burnley. He does what he wants, and, it's still, and, and, and he seems happier in his press conferences, like I said. He seems happier with what ALK have said. You know, he's he seems, I hope there will be more money to spend. You know, he's talking about the summer. Um, but I think the only thing is, if, if he is really ambitious and he does want a top job, maybe he does need to go to a palace, do it somewhere else, before he then can be considered uh, for another job. Mm. I think he would be fantastic at Tottenham. I think Tottenham's a brilliant football club. I, I'm not particularly a massive fan of Daniel Levy, if, if I'm being honest. Uh, but every time I've been to Tottenham, um, you know, when you speak to the fans and, you know, in and around the ground, people may have different experiences, can speak about mine. I found them to be very plausible, very knowledgeable about the football. And uh, and I think if given that opportunity, yeah. I think it's a bit more British culture, even though there is foreign players. I think a lot of the core of that, that you know, you've got Kane as captain, essentially. Um, I think he'd do fantastic there. I, I, I would honestly, if you went to somewhere Kane's like... Kane's going to go the this summer. Well, possibly... Again, but um, if you went to say Tottenham, it, I would it wouldn't feel as bad if you went to a Palace because it'd be like, you know, it's, it's got almost like we're you know you look at the table. I think Palace have got City next, 
And if we beat them, we we go above them. And you're like, what? I think we come above Palace every season the last two seasons. So um, yeah, you're right. Again, it, I think this debate will always wrangle on un- until he signs that contract. So it's going to be a really interesting summer. Once this season's finished, we're going to stay up now. Hopefully, the board back him again. We don't expect mil, you know. 40, you know, 40, 50 million spent on a player, etc. But I think as long as he back him enough where he feels he can progress the team and move forward, I think he will be happy to stay. But, but at the same time, how could he turn down a major job yeah. if he comes that way? But I don't think he'll get offered one um, because of, you know, yeah. we can say what we want. Point. Sorry, just one more point. We, we can say what we want about Daesh. Yeah, go on. He's a, fan, he's a fantastic man motivator. He's, he's, he knows exactly what he wants to do. But if if a game's not going his way, he's ta- he, you know he can't change it. I remember we played Newcastle a few years ago, and Benitez completely changed his shape. He's obviously been a, fans- a very good manager at the top level, and we lost to them. You know, so I think that's where clubs are probably just that bigger clubs are that bit tentative to go. Has he got enough in his in his toolkit to actually do it here? Yeah. That's been one of my biggest gripes about Dash for a while is that I do worry that he is, you know, when he chooses his his tactics and he gets it right and it works, it's brilliant. And he usually, you know, it's it's not often he gets it wrong in the actual starting lineup. But when you, you like you say, when a game changes, it's like, well, where do we go from here? There's no fluid fluidity. Is that a word? There's no plan B in the games. There's no. There's nothing that way. Um. Just talking, it just brought me on to a very quick one, um, Tom, talking there about, um, you know, getting to the end of the season and seeing where we get to. Um, I think, I, I do, th- this is probably the most confident I've felt in the summer about keeping hold of Dash because a lot, like you say, a lot of the teams that we've been identifying that we're going to go to, I do think Palace will lose Zahar in the summer. Kane's going to leave Spurs. And, and, you know, some of these, some of these teams are going to be looking at it and going, well, there's not an awful lot of cash around to spend on big money signings. So if they're trying to also attract a manager, for me, Dash looked like Tom said, uh, sorry, Rich said, look at Palace without Zahar. Well, he might as well stay where he is. Spurs without Kane are in a whole world of pain. And actually, you know, you look at somebody like Villa, you know, Dean Smith's doing really well. I can't, Leicester and Everton, some of the jobs he's been linked with in the past, their managers, there's nowhere they're going anywhere. Um and the newly promoted clubs will keep their managers for a while. I'm just, I, I don't really see anybody else in the prem. And, and actually, now look at West Ham as well. Look at how Moyes is doing. He's had a good season there. I just, I can't see anywhere for him to go in, in the Premier League. I think we're going to, I feel really confident in the summer. Yeah, and he's got another year on his deal as well, hasn't he? So that's, that gives you a bit of something. Yeah, I think you're right. Every sort of, every summer or every kind of season, there's two or three jobs that come up and you think that is a good fit. Mm. And like you say, maybe the only obvious one at the minute is the Palace one, and that's if Hodgson does go. Um, and it's going to be a tricky summer for them, as you say. So perhaps, especially if we can, like Richard says, get a few more wins on the board and finish above them, perhaps that is starting to look a bit less appealing. I did read some quotes from him last week as well. I mean, I've seen them in uh, Football 365. I've not seen them elsewhere, but uh, hopefully they are genuine. He was talking about pace, and he was saying sort of in the past, the budgets have been sort of set. The desire has just been staying in the Prem, and that's fine. But he was talking about how Pace is kind of a bit more willing to stretch it. And he, and he said he agreed with, you know, he's not asking for an extra £100 million. He's just asking for it to be stretched by a little bit more so we can keep progressing. And he said that uh, him and Pace were sort of in agreement on that. And it was, yeah, it's quite a positive sort of 
sort of note that he was sounding there. It gave me the impression that perhaps it, you know, things have freshened up a little bit. He can see a, a bit more of a future with the club than than before. So uh, that gave me a little bit of hope as well. I think we, I, I won't be fully relaxed until Palace have got a new manager on a new contract signed. Um, but I think you're right. I think other than that, there's nothing to be an, an obvious uh, avenue for him to go down. And, and perhaps if, if all the avenues do close off in the summer, then that's going to make uh, it a bit more likely that we can get him tied down to a new long-term deal, fingers crossed. Yeah, sounds it, good. It, it must be hard for him just to walk away, though, after everything he's done. Yes, like, definitely. You know, when... Let, essentially, you know, we'll, we'll not go into the debate about garlic and the ball, but everything that's happening at Burnley is 95% down to dice. Mm. So for him to kind of just say, I'm off, I, I can't imagine him. Like, honestly, I can't imagine him not being Burnley manager. No, I agree. I you think know, it, I think it would have been an easier decision, Rich, if Garlic hadn't have sold him yeah, in the summer because that yeah. relationship was done. Um, I think, but I think now that um, they've done, and actually, I think um, you know we're still to see them put their money where their mouth is, and we're obviously still in the honeymoon phase at the moment. But the world under our new owners seems to be pretty um, pretty rosy at the moment. So I think I think you're right, Rich. I think that's a, probably a very good in, indication. Uh, Tom, sorry, just. Flagged your hand up there. What did you want to come in with? I know. Uh, I just want to say, uh, you know, the, I, I, I've realised now that, you know, after he took Richard's corner suggestion in the last two games, I'm hoping that I haven't planted <laughs> the idea of going abroad. In <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, he's decided not to listen this week. Fingers crossed. I swear to God, Tom, if you've jinxed us and this now happens, I'm going to sack you. We're never using you again, and you know, ever, all your all your Twitter army of, of followers will leave you. Actually, that's really funny. Did I don't. Was it producer Matt who tweeted that this week? Did you two see that picture of you two's corresponding pre-game messages on Sunday? So, and obviously I'm not going to say it because it's a family-friendly podcast, but Tom has a certain phrase that he uses, which contains a swear word. And it's now become part of everybody's pre-match ritual. And we all look out for it and it's all like, we're there, we're good. And they must have tweeted at exactly the same time because right underneath it. So Tom had, Tom had tweeted... Come on, Burnley, bleep, bleep, wolves. And Tom, right underneath it, had gone, please, can you win today, Burnley? That would be great. And it was, it did really, yeah, the, the difference between you two tweets was really quite amusing. The, uh, it, it was a sad tweet for me, Natalie, because on, on the day before, um, yeah, cricket went terribly bad. I bowled two oh, overs, yeah. got took off, and went got out for a second ball duck. So I need, it was just, I was just in a sad mood coming, come on, Burnley, just please win today. Oh. I don't need it ruining my... <laughs> We can get in even worse. I, I actually have no idea what you said to me. You could have literally okay, fair enough. Then. I don't know what you're saying. But, but oh, I'm really sad for you as well. Yeah. I don't know what you said, but I'm sad for you. Um, well, finally then, just before we we uh, sign off for the week, we can't let the episode go without um, celebrating the collapse of the European Super League. Hooray, hooray, hooray. Lasted all of 48 hours before all six clubs left and came back with their tail between their legs and the um, little jibe that uh, young Tom had at me at the beginning of the um, show was down to um, the non and ever team being asked to do a piece for the BBC which was shown at half time between Wolves and Burnley um, and essentially what they were getting at is that there were two founder members of the Football League there on, on Sunday and, and they wanted to know how we felt being labelled legacy fans and essentially what our reaction was. Um, there were a few questions that they asked in that interview that, that weren't in that um, 
interview themselves. I wanted just to put them to you. I've got the list here. Um, so I guess starting with you, Rich, uh, it's kind of like an open question, but it sets us off nicely. But what are your thoughts on the events of last week? Where do you now sit with all of this saga? Well, firstly, Natalie, and you know, and, um, and I'm not just gen- saying it, but I generally thought you was fantastic um, on 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 Sunday. Yeah. I thought the way you taught and you and you articulated it was, you know, was brilliant. Um, and I think it's very powerful as well for females watching a you know watching a role model too. So you know, con- you know <laughs> congratulations to you. Thank you. Um, the and I thought the way the BBC did it as well was. You know, generally amazing. Oh, and, and, such a good piece. And I think yeah. they really grasped the culture of Burnley fantastically well. And I, I don't know if it's because we were three and a lot too, but it genuinely, I genuinely <laughs> felt. Yeah, we felt good. <laughs> but I genuinely felt emotional watching it, and it and it brought back mm. all the reasons why why you why you love football and why we love Burnley as a as a club. That tradition, that history you have, even as someone who was born in the early nineties. You're still very proud of what we did, you know, when we won the FA Cup in 1940, when we won the league in 1921, when we won the our second championship in 1960, even the Orient game. All these kind of ups and downs of Burnley Football Club make 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 us so unique. You know, you know, we have gone to the bottom and yeah. you know we've we've come back up again. Um, but I think it's genuinely a really powerful moment for football as a whole. I think it's been amazing to see fans come together. To kind of squash this movement and for it in the space of, you know, t- you know, just over twenty four hours for the, you know, for the teams to announce that they were exiting it was absolutely huge. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I know Germany have the fifty plus one rule where the supporters have a say in 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 what the club does. So hopefully England follows a similar model, especially for the big clubs. Um, and 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 finally to finish my piece here, I think the fans of the big six. Deserve massive, massive, massive praise and adulation for it. You know, we complain sometimes yes. of the big six. You know, yes, saying, they do. but you know, they, you know, they were there protesting straight away. They come out. This is not what we want. We would rather, you know, we moan about it, but we would rather play turf mall on a, uh, you know, on a Wednesday evening than Real Madrid in this Super League because that's what English football is all about. Um, so yeah, I think football was going down a really bad path with VAR, no fans. All this, and hopefully now with what's happened, football is going to get put back to the masses, put back to the working classes, and and back to the fans. Yeah, well said, Rich. Very well said. And I think you and I have talked a, a bit about feeling a little bit jaded about this season and feeling a bit disengaged with football. And I know George, who sits on our panel as well, he's having a really tough time this season without being on the games. In a weird way, everything that's happened over this last week has made me it's reignited my enthusiasm for next season now I can't wait to start next season and I feel like we're going to be back in the stadiums you know this nonsense is gone there's going to be a bigger voice given to the fans there's going to be um a bigger like you said uh, Rich a, a greater respect between different fan bases to protect the football pyramid all the way through and that's got me really excited about next year. Um, I guess the only other thing that I've got a slight hangover about Tom is, and this was an interesting question that I got asked, was how the whole thing made me feel about the club's financial future. And I guess my honest answer at the time was it did make me feel really vulnerable because for that 48-hour period, we were suddenly looking at a very different Premier League and a very different 
football and world. And we don't have any investment outside of the TV rights money or not much of it. Um, so even though it's collapsed now, does, has that left you with any hangovers about how secure we are going forward? Uh, I think it's a difficult one to answer with the owners being so new. So obviously we were very frugal in the January transfer window and that we didn't spend any money. Um, <laughs> you know, the policy in the last few years and, you know, you can say more more should have been put on the pitch, but, um, you know, credit where credit's due, we have been um, self-sufficient. We have been very healthy money-wise. And obviously uh, the way the club's been bought um, this leverage buyout that's been done, and uh, and then the fact that obviously the new owners are gonna are gonna have different ideas and priorities when it comes to budgets and transfer spending and things like that. I think we'll only really know in sort of two three years. Um, fundamentally, obviously, um, and especially if the TV money stays at a similar kind of level when the, the new deals uh, renegotiated, it's going to be about staying in the Premier League for us. It's going to be about being successful on the pitch. Uh, if we do that, if we can stay in the league, then you'd hope that by and large the finances are going to take care of themselves. If we do get relegated and we don't bounce back quickly, then you'd like to think that we've been prudent enough. We've got assets to sell. We, we haven't got a ridiculous amount of uh, money spent on the wage bill. We haven't got massive mountain debts or anything like that. So, um, you know, I spoke I spoke um, when we were talking about the Super League last week, if, if it was to happen that... English football was going to have a bit of a rude awakening in terms of wages, things like that were really going to have to come down. It wouldn't surprise me if, uh, depending on what happens with the next mm. TV deal or just the fact that we've had this kind of shock to the system and this wake-up call that we do maybe see a trend of, of, of wages and, uh, and transfer fees and things like that do start to go down a little bit, maybe the after effects of the pandemic as well. That wouldn't be the worst thing for English football. It certainly wouldn't be the worst thing for clubs like ours. But I have to say in terms of... Um, immediate risks and things like that in terms of the club's financial health uh, I think we're in quite a fortunate position especially when you compare us to a lot of uh, lower league clubs so yeah uh, while it is while it is a worry and while it's always a worry that we are so heavily reliant on staying in the Premier League uh, you know I, I don't foresee like a massive crash and a massive uh, a massive desperate situation in our future especially now that this threat has been chased off for the time being stuff um final point from you um rich do you punish the top six and if so top six the big six or the, the breakaway club and if so how yeah so yeah 100 uh, i think that's something that we can't forget now they've just like come out of it i hope it doesn't just get brushed under the carpet and, and it's pretended it's it's never happened that I, I want to have like like you're saying about that 50 plus one rule i hope now there's real change you know, as a as a result of this, because let's not forget, you know, they'll, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if in a year, two years time, you know, they try and bring something up like this again. You've seen that Perez at Madrid, he's still barking on about it, that it's still got to happen, and and I've seen like people going, you know, don't deduct some points, don't, you know, it's 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 not fair on the fans, you know, and I have just praised the fans, uh, uh, which I completely understand and. And he, and he understand the legitimacy of, of that argument. But at the end of the day, when Wigan's owner kind of overnight just put them into administration out of the blue, that's not the fans' fault. And they got deducted points and ended up in League One and are scrapping yeah. for their safety. You know, other, you know, there's there's loads of examples of clubs who's had that and it's not fair in the fans. So, but, you know, uh, sim- you know, similarly, these big clubs, they don't care. They, they don't come to, like, Wigan's rescue if they've been deducted points. They, they couldn't give a 
you know, you, you know, a monkey. So, in my opinion, there should be massive fines, enough that it hurts them, and it makes hope, you know, and it maybe kind of evens the gap up a little bit more. But yeah, you know, 10, 15 point deduction. Why not? Or how many points are Arsenal above the relegation zone? Just deduct some that. <laughs> <laughs> And made them scrap out the last five games for survival. Yeah. That would be out and then just sat the season off. Just have Arsenal Fulham last game of the season. Relegation decided. That'd be amazing. No, but I think one of the points. Go on, sorry, Rich. No, I was just saying. Listen, I'm. But I still think there should be a you know a points deduction because really these these clubs they have massive wallets still, especially City. You know where even yeah. if they were fined thirty million, they could afford it and they brush it off. You know, they might not be able to sign one extra superstar, but they'd be but they'd be re, wouldn't they? So yeah, give them a point. De- yeah, it? give them a points deduction. Ten, you know, even if it's five points or six, but just something to show that you can't do this. You can't just willy nilly sign up for a league behind everyone's back that would completely disrupt, disarm, and ruin the English football pyramid as it's been created for hundred plus years. Yeah, I agree. I think that was where my view was this. And I think the point that I I was looking at, um, Tom, was very much, let's assume that they do do that and they do do a point system and and all of those six teams start next season with minus 10 points, for example. What a Premier League, if it's just one season, what a Premier League would have next year. Can you imagine? We'd actually have one season where the other teams could genuinely challenge for the title, where other clubs could genuinely have a shot at the Champions League. And if it's just for one season, how incredible would that be? Yeah, that would be absolutely class. I think you probably have to take 20 points off them rather than 10 to make that really realistic. I think Man City would still... We'll take 20 off City. (laughs) Yeah, 20 off City and 10 off the rest, maybe, yeah. Yeah, no, it would be fantastic (laughs) to watch. I don't know if it's realistic. I I think they're going to struggle to to get something like a point deduction through. I think what I'd like to see, um, and I think the points that we've made about how... um, you know, the, they're going to stop the money cascading through the pyramid, this kind of thing. That's the real knock-on effect was going to be felt further down the leagues. I think a great punishment for me would be a massive fine, like Richard says, and make it so that it's not just a fine that's coming out of, you know, the, a billionaire's back pocket. Take it out of the budget that they're allowed to spend that season. So let's say 30, 40, 50 million. That would have a massive effect on what they could spend in terms of the wage bill, maybe transfers, like Richard says. And then what I'd like to see is if you got that money, pull the kitty, say 100, 200, 300 million pounds, cascade that down the pyramid and use that to cover the money, um, you know, the shortfall that these clubs have had um, that, where they've missed out on the revenue from the, you know, from the pandemic and not being able to get people through the door. That was a big talking point at the point where it was all shut down. You know, these clubs coming to the Premier League asking for money and it was, well, what are you going to do for us if we give you the money and let's do a, you know, the project big picture was all at the back of that. I think it would be great to take that money off those six, cascade it down the pyramid. You'd set up a lot of clubs there. The punishment would fit the crime in that in that sense for me as well. So I, I, I'd love to think that would happen, a bit of a Robin Hood kind of tax on them like that. Again, whether it's realistic, I don't know. But yeah, uh, that would be the ideal too for me. A Premier League next season where it's genuinely competitive and uh, money flowing through the pyramid, flowing into the lower leagues and non-leagues and, and strengthening the whole of English football. That, wouldn't that be brilliant? Yeah, definitely. Well, let's open that dialogue up to you, listeners, because we want to know what you think. What should the consequences be for these uh, founding six clubs? Do you think a financial punishment is suitable? Do you think a points deduction would work? And essentially, how do you feel going forward now? Do you share Rich's view that football has fundamentally changed? Are you excited like me for next season? You know, let us know what you think. And you can tweet us at known and never, or you can email us at podcast at knownandnever.net. 
That is all we have time for this week. And we are celebrating Known and Never this week, a sixth consecutive season in the Premier League. Well done, that team. It's been a roller coaster this season. It's been really horrible at times, not even getting to get to any live games. It's been difficult to keep up. We've had challenges on and off the pitch, but we've got there. So we have a summer, all of us, none and ever. We're going to have a break in the summer as well. We're all going to have a break. We're going to come back next season refreshed and ready to take on another Premier League season. My thanks as ever go to everyone who's contributed to this podcast, to my colleagues, Rich and Tom, for their fantastic analysis and giving up their time this evening. Um, Could not love you both more. I love it when you get them going, especially when Rich goes on a rich rant. It's my favourite thing ever. Um, To producer Matt for knitting all of this and putting it together, to band Joyce for the music they provide for the podcast. But finally, to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this podcast. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. Dave and I will be back on Friday morning this time with the preview show looking ahead to this weekend's fixture and the rest of the team will be back next Tuesday or Wednesday um, which will hopefully be looking at a very nice, is it West Ham this weekend? I don't remember it is, isn't yeah. it? West Ham Monday, this weekend? Yeah. On Monday, yeah. Um, the only other thing to mention before we leave is that um, the, the None and Ever podcast will be supporting the Premier League's initiative to go out for a blackout on social media this weekend to stand up for racism. So we will be going quiet from Friday at 3pm and we will not be back with you until first thing Tuesday morning. So take care of yourselves in the meantime, stay safe and if you can support the initiative, please do. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the None and Ever podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.